Hi, everybody. This is Sharon Hall, and I am here today with Rebecca Wilson, and we are going to talk about connecting after a diagnosis. And this is really an important topic, and I don't want to waste any time. And you know who Rebecca is, and you know who I am. (laughs) Don't forget agingcarecoach.com, and she's going to take it away so we can talk about this as long as possible. Go, Rebecca. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for having me back, Sharon. I always enjoy our conversations. Um, yeah, so when when we talked about, when Sharon and I talked about doing a, doing this podcast this month, I said I really wanted to focus on something that gave hope, that um, gave people, gave our listeners tools to make connections beyond dementia. Um, having worked in hospice care for five years, I have seen so many families who um, – struggled with how do I make a connection when the person can no longer talk or communicate effectively um, and when our most deeply entrenched um, long-term way of making connections is often through talking, right? And so now someone's losing, if someone's losing language abilities and we want to make those connections, how do we do that? And so really wanted to focus on giving discussing tools that we can use to make engagement with people. And then, you know, Sharon in her beautiful way helps me remember that specific to frontal temporal dementia, there are a lot of wounds that may be there from the past, from that period prior to getting a diagnosis when someone's behaviors are changing and they're erratic and, um, even I'm seeing more and more couples who, who have divorce in their marriage before the diagnosis. Um, but when we look in the rearview mirror, once we have the diagnosis of FTD and we look in the rearview mirror, we see, oh, that's probably what led to this divorce. And so there's, you know, that happens, erratic spending, betrayal, illegal behaviors, these, these things that happen as a result of, the brain change associated with FTD caused these fractured relationships. And so before jumping into how can we connect with this person, we must acknowledge what are those wounds and how then do we get ourselves to this point where, okay, I'm starting to recognize that it's the disease and it wasn't the person. How do I reconcile that to my present and how now that I've, found myself in this caregiving situation, how do I move forward in making those connections? And, hey, let's be honest, nobody that listens to this podcast, I'm guessing, sat back 10 or 15 years ago and said, you know what, I really, really think I'd like to be a caregiver for someone living with frontotemporal dementia. Sharon, did you, did you aspire to be a caregiver for someone with FTD? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. yeah, right. No, so none of us said that's what, that's what I want to do one day. And so we find ourselves in this situation. And, and again, when we look about, look at those, the time period that happens prior to diagnosis, and I know we've said this on previous podcasts, but I think it, it bears repeating, you know, the, the time to diagnosis, and many of you have experienced this, but just to get the numbers behind you, that time to diagnosis in Alzheimer's disease is often around two years. And we look at almost doubling that to get a diagnosis of FTD. So we deal with so much misdiagnosis. And because of the age group that we don't think it 
we don't think about dementia, right? We think midlife crisis, we think drugs, we think alcohol, we think all these other things. But, and so all that time period is the festering wounds are continuing to get worse. And then we find ourselves, okay. Yeah, go ahead, Sharon. I I just really think it's important for all of us to, to recognize that and acknowledge it. STD in particular, because of the behavior variant being the most, the most uh, prolific of the STDs, uh, it's just really, really, we have to acknowledge that the time before diagnosis is probably the toughest time anybody could have on the planet. And we have to acknowledge that that's the truth and that we can't help it. They can't help it. So through health. Yeah. Right. No doubt. That's a perfect description. It is. And I obviously not having been a caregiver for someone with FTD, but working in this, in this sector and working with a lot of families who have been through this um, and are living it currently, um, those wounds don't just go away when the doctor passes you the diagnosis, right? Wouldn't it be so easy if the moment that they handed you the diagnosis, okay, your loved one has FTD and you start your search of what on earth does that mean? And and then all of a sudden you were just to wipe away all that happened leading up to it, but that's not realistic. Um, and so these wounds are, are there. We've got this trauma in many situations that has happened leading up to the diagnosis, and, and now you have the diagnosis. So how do you reconcile? And Sharon, having, you know, being in, 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 the, in the trenches, how can you, could you share with how you made yourself move from that wounds of the past to the present and recognizing the disease for what it is? It, it was a long journey. Uh, well, you know, for me, long is, you know, like a week is, you know, my schedule. But uh, it was long, and it was, it was difficult. Uh, I had a great deal of resentment, and there were times after diagnosis where, where I went, does he really have FTD or is he just a big fat jerk? Mm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that went a while. And when I read Loving Someone Who Has Dementia by Pauline Boss, it sort of changed my outlook. And I got to thinking, wait a minute. Every time I look at him and think, is he pulling my leg? It doesn't affect him at all. It affects me. I was feeling that stress and resentment. And I discovered after reading that book that, if I continued down that path, I wouldn't have a life after FTD because I would be so bitter and, and stressed and I might die. And so I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have to turn my thinking around here. And I started slowly by saying, okay, that's FTD. Even if it looked like, oh, maybe it's just being a job, I went, eh, it's FTD. And Rod and I have always been open about his diagnosis. We've talked about it. And I began to make jokes about it. You know, he would, something would happen and I'd say, oh, geez, that's FTD. Welcome, FTD. And so he got used to the fact that I was assigning it to FTD. Now, that didn't make him worse. I think it made him better. I think Mm -hmm. that he became more aware that he was having outbursts and they 
he couldn't stop them. And, and so it took a long time. And, and I know that there are some people that might never get there. I get it. But I am selfish, and I wanted to save myself. So the only way I could figure out to do it was to explain it all to FTD. And i got to tell you, our lives have become pretty good. So you said that even when you had the diagnosis, you were still kind of questioning, like, okay, is this really what's happening, or is this just him being a jerk in your words, right? So what was it about the book that really helped you, the loving someone who has dementia? Is there anything particular that you can remember from reading that book that made that pivotal for you? Uh, yes. It was it was the fact that, you know, she, she points out that this is the brain and this is the, it's happening in their brain and you have to turn that over to the disease and accept the disease for what it is. And I guess I started out slowly, just like anybody would. I mean, I'm pretty human. And, and as it went on and I saw that it was improving stress within me and that fighting it within me uh, and, and, you know, saying to myself, oh, I can't believe these blah, blah, blah. And I thought, wait a minute. I, what is that doing for me? I'm the only one suffering here. So that little trigger of saying, let it go, you know, I say that a lot, let it go, just let it go. And when you get used to that and you see that it works, you tend to do it more and more. And I think that relationship then becomes better and better. And so when you, yeah, absolutely. Um, So it sounds like empowering yourself with information um, and learning more about what's actually happening in the brain that it's not a personality issue, that it's truly, you know, these physiological changes that the brain is, these cells are getting sick and they're dying, then you, you were able to take it to that heart level, not just the head level, but to the heart, like, okay, this is truly what's happening and he's doing the best he can. I can only change what I can change, which is my response to it. Yeah, you still have that in the back of your mind that says, but these things he did, they hurt me still. <laughs> yes, and, you know, uh, you, you have to stop taking things personally. Mm. Uh, you know, I really don't take things personally. And I apologize a lot. A lot of times I'll say, oh, Rod, I am so sorry. That was all my fault. No, it wasn't. But, boy, my mm-hmm. life is a lot easier when I do it <laughs> because he down and what's he going to say if I'm saying, hey, it's my fault, what's he, what's he going to say? So Yeah, the argument really, can't really escalate beyond that very much. <laughs> and I think I know that I'm, he isn't what I know that I'm apologizing for something I shouldn't apologize for in the normal world, but we no longer live in the normal world. We live in a TV world, and if we don't accept that and we don't make changes to who we are and how we react, we are suffering, period. Hmm. I think that's a really important – yeah, that's an important idea too, Sharon, in that you are adjusting your expectations. You said – that's how I might, I might not apologize for that in the normal world because I didn't do anything wrong, except for that we're not living in the normal world anymore. And so 
a big piece of that, I think, is expectation. So that I'm no longer expecting this person who has a diagnosis, who's living with FTD, I no longer expect them to be the person that they were before. But they look the same. And so it's so easy to think, oh, my goodness, well, why is this happening when you know, for instance, if someone didn't have an arm anymore, you would know to make adjustments in the way what you expected out of them. You wouldn't try to put something in their right hand if they didn't have their right arm. I mean, those physical changes that we might see in someone, it's easier for us to make the modifications. When we can't actually see it, it's harder to make that adjustment in our expectations. And I think that's a lot of what gets us in trouble um, is, expecting to connect with that person or expecting that person to behave or act or do the things that they used to do when this is a new reality. And that's not the world, as you said, that we live in anymore. So, yeah, so that's such a challenge is making that, that adjustment while those wounds and the, the stuff that happened and, and, for instance, could still be festering. You know, if someone got into legal issues, there could still be things that are pending that even though we have a diagnosis and I know it, we're still dealing with ramifications. Um, that's a hard, hard step to adjust. Even in the ramifications, and even when Rob loses his temper, you know, out in public or whatever, it doesn't affect me the way it used to. Uh, you know, I, I just do the, oh, sorry, he has dementia, pass out the brochures, stay calm. I don't, and if somebody's ugly back to me, I just go, I'm so sorry for you, and move on. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, it, it's really, it, I, you have to practice it. I'm not saying that this comes overnight, but mm-hmm. I, I really, and yes, I have days tired, and, you know, you all know that my mom recently passed, and it was a very difficult time that last month or so, during those times, sometimes I just want to say, shut up and sit down. And But then I if I do that, then I've got two problems on my hands. So, yeah, when I'm tired, it's not as easy. But I try to force myself to always be, I'm sorry, Rod, that was totally my fault. Or I'm sorry, I really didn't explain that correctly. Let me try again. And take mm. the blame. And knowing that the blame is not mine... I could sort of blow it off. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It sounds like it's a it's a something that you constantly have to make a focus, though. You have to constantly decide. Okay, my attitude is going to be, and, and it sounds like you said this. I don't want to go. You know, my sanity to suffer because of FTD. FTD is going to take one of us, unfortunately, and I don't want FTD to take both of us. So. What are the adjustments that I can make, I share and can make that can help me survive this and help him live better with it? Um, but it sounds like almost every day because, yeah, we're all human, um, is to making that decision to how am I going to adjust. So now, I'm, now I am this caregiver for someone living with FTD, and, and I'm going to choose to make that the best that I can. So can you talk about how you and Rod have learned ways to connect as a couple, as friends, you know, as partners in life? What are some ways that you guys connect on a day-to-day basis beyond FTD and just 
finding the humanity and the companionship in each other. We we talk a lot. Um, Rod does spend a lot of time on his iPad uh, watching movies and things, and he'll even talk back to them. And you know, it's, it's uh, sometimes that gets to me that I hear noise all the time. But <laughs> we we still talk like we did, and he might say something that you know I I, I normally would not let go. Uh, but we sort of have this different kind of connection. It, I mean, I will still tell him I I love him because I do. I mean, I love the Rod that was pre-diagnosis very much, and he was wonderful to me. And so maybe I'm fortunate that I have those memories, and maybe if my marriage had never been good, I may have some more difficulty doing what I just described. But I, you know, I do, you guys know that I do happy color. That's my little thing to take my mind off of things. And I send him a little happy color thing, usually a heart or something, uh, every day. And he looks forward to it. I send it at different times during the day. And he looks forward to that. And he always mentions it when I send it. So we have these little Mm -hmm. connections that are not physical any longer. I mean, we don't have sexual intimacy anymore it's i'm not i'm not interested in having sex with somebody that's 10 to 13 years old that's just not my thing so mm-hmm. you know he knows that and he's aware of that he'll even sometimes make jokes and i'll you know kind of let it go and but we connect uh, there's a connection there and and i think it goes back to before diagnosis and and I think the longer he has FTD, the longer he realizes that, yeah, there were some things that were really not good. And and I, mm-hmm. at least he has mission. Now, I don't know. If he had a nosognosia, if he said nothing is wrong with me, nothing's ever been wrong with me, this is all your fault, I suppose it would be harder for me to say, I'm sorry, Rod, this is my fault. But mm-hmm. really, unless you do that, you're, you're just really good. You have a choice, either get out or get with the program. And that's hmm. really what it comes down to in black and white. Yeah. I think a lot of what we talk about on this podcast and, and a lot of um, FTD forums is more of that, that moderate stage where we're dealing with these behavioral issues. And, and one of the things that is, unique to FTD that I've seen, and, and maybe you will disagree, but what, I, what I've seen is it seems like with Alzheimer's disease, we tend to see an increase in behavioral expressions over the course of the disease as someone's losing their abilities to communicate verbally, whereas with FTD, because those behavioral expressions are the things that we see first, the behaviors and the language changes, Um, In my experience, it seems like those tend to lessen over time, whereas they increase over time in Alzheimer's. And so I think that by the time we're in the spot of moderate moving into advanced, a lot of that has been resolved at that point. And so now, again, a caregiver is going to find themselves, okay, now I'm caring for someone who um, we've been through this horrible hell, as, as Sharon described, and now we're we're reaching this point where, and any of you that have cared for someone with um, other forms of dementia know, now we're starting to deal more with the um, the effects of the global deterioration. So um, can they walk 
they can't walk anymore? Can they feed themselves? You know, and so now we're getting to this point where someone is, is so dependent on us for care needs that a lot of times we go strictly into care mode and um, lose sight of how can I still make connections with this person? How can I still connect with my mom or my husband in a way that is able to transcend their losing abilities, their, what, what it is that's changing in, with them. And, you know, again, going back to that idea of um, realistic expectations of what does connecting with someone look like at this point. Um, one of the, my, um, a caregiver that I worked with a long, long time ago he, I got to work with him through the journey from diagnosis to death, and this has been three years since his, his ex-wife died, and he had stepped back in to be her primary caregiver once they got the diagnosis. You know, and he looks back on his caregiving really in a unique and special way, and he really feels like it was a, a blessing and an honor to be able to care for her through that journey. And he, he talks about their ability to connect and communicate was stronger than it had ever been in 40 years of marriage um, when she had verbal abilities, but they, they weren't really connecting in the way that they did when he was caring for her in those last few years when there were no words anymore, um, but their communication was the most profound that it had ever been. And, you know, he talks about, um, ways that he made connections, really focusing on the five senses. So, you know, what is it that um, he could bring into her day for visual stimulation, pictures of her family, or she loved cats, and so bringing in pictures of, of cats and kittens. And so what kind of visual cues could he give her? What kind of sound cues? She had a, a strong Christian faith, and so he would play hymns for her throughout the day. Again, all of these are in short segments because he didn't want to overstimulate her. But but using the five senses, what smells might be um, powerful for her? Because they had raised five children, he knew that baby lotion was something that she really enjoyed the smell of. And so bringing in certain smells and tastes and sounds and, and touch um, you know, and, and again, many times as caregivers, we go so into, okay, I have to make sure that um, they have had a meal, they've had their meds, they're clean, you know, they've had their, their personal care for the day. You know, so I'm focusing so much on care, focused on care needs and not making those connections. And, you know, he, this gentleman shared that he made a point to when he was helping her get dressed in the morning, talk about, you know, when they met in the Navy um, and she was a Navy nurse or when he was helping her change her brief, he talked about the attributes that the children really appreciated about her. And, and what that gave her was a sense of identity when she was forgetting her own personal history, but also gave him a reminder of who she was prior to the disease, as you're saying, Sharon, what is it that you loved about Rod and what is it that we loved about this person that it's easy to lose sight of at this point? So are there ways that all of us can go from focused on advancing care needs, especially in the advanced stages, 
of how can we make those connections still. And that's, a, that's really taking caregiving to a different level and not just focused on the care, but focused on the connection. Um, and, and when there are wounds from the past, maybe I'm not thinking I want to sit and, you know, do kumbaya with someone because I'm still kind of pissed about what they did. Um, that's, that's a hard transition to take. But I think that in what I've seen with, with many caregivers is if they can make that jump, and as, care, as Sharon's saying, to make that transition in your head of, okay, this is, this is the disease, and so how can I still connect with them? It's different. It's not the same. It's not like a husband relationship. So you and Rod still have fun together, and I, I think we all see that. You, you still have fun together, and you still enjoy each other's company, um, and that's truly connecting beyond dementia, and that, that's, that's a hard thing to do for some of us. And I, I do think, as I said, uh, if, it's, if it was really bad before and, and even, be, you know, even longer ago than you think that the FDD started, then I think that gets a little more complicated. Uh, but mm-hmm. um, if, if, you can, if you can assign those things that really happened right before diagnosis that you went, oh, my gosh, there's something terribly wrong here, if you can just assign those to FTD, you're at least ahead of the curve in, in being mm. able to say, okay, let it go, let it go, and um, assign it to the disease and make our life better. But, you know, we, I, I got to the point where, you know, Rod would say something in public, and, uh, you know, a lot of people would be probably very embarrassed about what he said. What I do is I slap my forehead and then go, welcome to FTD. And mm. so it's I lighten that moment, I just said to some students I spoke with, I said, if I keep hitting myself in the forehead, I'm going to get CTE because mm-hmm. <laughs> it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's my way of kind of diffusing the immediate uproar and just saying, oh, welcome to STD. And if Ooh. it's somebody that doesn't know, then I'll pass a brochure. You know, I carry brochures all the time and talk about what STD is. But it Mm -hmm. diffuses it a bit more human, I think. So I think it helps our connection that Rod is there. He sees that I'm not chastising him. He sees that I am not embarrassed by him. And so I think that helps him connect to me as well. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. And and as you said, though, I mean, there there may be people who are listening today who their loved one doesn't recognize, and their the, that anosognosia, our favorite word there, is that lack of recognition of what's going on. And so you have found your way to to connect with you, connect the dots for yourself. Okay, this is FTD. I'm slapping my forehead, and I'm going. Okay, this is a disease, and that works for him too. But for other people, it might be just you know, doing that to themselves, but not even being able to have that connection with the person because they don't recognize it. So it's going to look different for everybody, but it sounds like you found a very um, specific tactile way that you use to, okay, remind myself, this is the disease. This is the disease. Um, That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I really think that that's what you, and everybody, like I said, everybody's different. And it will be different for everyone to find that little key that 
keeps you grounded to this is the disease, this is the disease, this is the disease, because really you wouldn't be there if you didn't care. It's, mm-hmm. it's very easy to walk away. But if you're still there, there has to be something that's keeping you there. So mm-hmm. I think some, you have to look at that. What's keeping me here? You know, what, if this is so horrible, why am I here? And so yeah. I think that's another is that we have to connect to that inside ourselves as well. Like, why am I here? And, you know, for me, the answer to that was, well, because Rod was just a fantastic husband. And I'm not saying he isn't now, but, you know, I don't get the big romantic gestures that I used to get and that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's not in him anymore. He can't plan that stuff anymore. Yeah. We're coming close to the end here. I, I do want you to briefly go over, Rebecca, an advanced dementia. You had mentioned when you and I were speaking some little things that you can do to kind of connect. Would you go over a couple of those? Yeah. So, again, just thinking about using the five senses because this is STD is a disease of the brain, um, but not a disease of the heart and soul. And so if we've gotten to the point where we've made the decision that I'm going to continue to be involved in this person's life and I, I want to make the best of it, how can I connect and because this is a disease of the brain, our ability to connect through talking and such may change. So thinking about the five senses, through taste, through smell, through touch, through hearing, um, and through visual cues. So those are the things that we want to think of. What would be pleasing to this person? Well, my loved one was always into cars, so I'm going to bring in pictures of cars. Or, uh, you know, what is it that for your loved one in advanced dementia, you still know that they are who they were and that those lifelong preferences are probably still there. So using that information, and it's going to be different for everyone, to use these sensory techniques. So think about sensory simulation of what are the five senses. And those are short, simple ways to make a connection. Well, how can, you know, bring in a brownie to Rod and just saying, hey, let's enjoy this delicious brownie. Or, you know, playing his favorite song. And you'll, and you'll see um, that those connections are still possible. So using the five senses. Well, Rebecca, I want to once again thank you for such a wonderful discussion. I know we could go on all day. <laughs> and uh, we will have this re- recorded and it will be available for anybody to listen to or pass on. I hope we've given you some ideas of how to make your life a little bit easier and connecting once again, even though it might not be the intimate physical way that you used to connect. And um, we hope you join us next month. We don't have a topic yet. Um, I will be letting you know what that is. But I hope that uh, you took something away from this and that we can help you. Thanks again, Rebecca. Thanks for having me on, Sharon. Always a pleasure. Talk to you later. Bye.